0: Oh, hello there. How are you, stranger? We haven't spoken since March, um, when I was on a podcast with Jennifer Paxton. Um, and, yeah, a lot has happened since March, but a lot, I suppose, hasn't happened since March. But I hope everyone is happy and safe and um Enjoying Christmas, a very different Christmas this year. But I hope you're enjoying it. We've just put a Christmas tree up this today, so I'm in a very festive and jolly mood. And um, so, this podcast is with the amazing Kirsten Smith. I know Kirsten as Kirsten Talbot. Um, from a kind of previous life, I suppose. Um, yeah, we used to work in the Bayer Theatre of St Andrews together, and I've been wanting to get her on the podcast for a while because she's such an interesting person that has had to deal with quite a lot of things in her life. Um, and, yeah, I just wanted to speak to her, and I really wanted to catch up with her as well. And this podcast is brilliant because we talk about... Um, personal things, we talk about private things, we talk about um, failure, we talk about um, Freddie Mercury, we talk about theatre, of course. Although I do say halfway through the podcast, theatre. I think my kind of Dundonian's coming out in me a little bit. But anyway, why are you listening to me when you can be listening to Kirsten? Here we go. See you at the end of the podcast. Bye! So hi, Kirsten. How are you? Don't
1: don't laugh. <laughs> I'm fine.
0: <laughs> so um, we've just been reminiscing about times at the buyer and life and things. We haven't seen each other for like how long? Uh, well, I
1: I left the, like two thousand and four. So
0: I think so- I. Left before you because you did a lot of box office stuff, and but I came back for summers and yeah, Christmases, and
1: yeah, that could have been the probably, yeah, the last time would be 2003-4 potentially, yeah, or maybe even earlier, yeah, that's a long time.
0: So we went to because we met each other when we were starting at the buyer theatre front of the house when it reopened. and mm. The first show was Into the Woods, remember mm-hmm. that? Into the Woods! I loved that show, I thought it was really good. Um, good show. But I must say, at the start, I was like, this is weird. And then I started watching it, and because you got to watch it most nights, yeah, like, you really got into it, and you really saw it. And it just, I started to love song time, and looking at all these lyrics, and it was like every single night, you would see something different. And yeah. we have watch that hundreds of times. Hundreds you know, of
1: times. And sometimes in, well, I think I probably watched it in the wrong order. I'm sure I did. I don't. think I, think I watched part two before I watched part one. <laughs> yeah. Because that's
0: a shame. And I remember, I remember it being so long, the mm. first act. And because the first act ends with And they all live happily ever after, I remember so many people leaving the theatre and we had to stop them and say, no, it's the second second act. (laughs) It's the second act. I remember that a couple of nights.
1: Yeah. I I haven't thought about that first. I just remember a few bits about it. I remember being excited to be at work and the show just felt spectacular and the theatre just felt amazing and it was such a, it was a bit of a privilege actually. It always felt like a privilege being like the first team, the first front of house team in that new like five-star theatre.
0: I slipped that one in there. (laughs) (laughs) But I also remember, I remember the, I, I don't know if I've ever really thought about it till recently, but I remember walking in to my work one day and Sean Connery's in the green room. And I thought, oh, Sean, because he was open in the theatre officially. I,
1: ah, I, I, so I must have. I think I started like two weeks after everyone because I was in Tenerife.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that was right. So I
1: missed Sean, but I did speak to him on the phone once in the in the, on the box office.
0: Hey, did he phone up? Oh, wow. He did.
1: He did. And he, he went through to the admin, and it was a girl called Nicola that used to be on admin. Hmm. <clears throat> and she answered the phone to him and of course she was really excited and then she came through to the box office um and she said kirsten sean connery's on the phone and he needs to get tickets some comps of course because i think it was i think it was parking lot in pittsburgh you know that was on and uh she says i'm going to transfer him through to you and i said no no don't don't i can't speak to him but obviously, I had no choice. But luckily, in the few minutes that it took her to go back and transfer the call, I got to compose myself. So when I actually did answer the phone and he said, hello, Sean Connery, I said, hi. And it was so cool. I was so cool about it.
0: Oh, yeah, because he would have to get comps. You can't ask Sean Connery for what's your card number. <laughs> I
1: well, I think he was, he was entitled to them as, what was it, um... A patron or something he wasn't yeah. titled or you know yeah
0: Actually, actual sean connery in our little theater was really strange i know
1: that's cool mm. and who else did we have we had did we have honor blackman at one point who was yeah, a bit I
0: remember that i'm
1: not gonna say but i'm just gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: i remember um uh it was when i saw gene kelly not Jean kelly Jared Kelly, Jean Kelly, that would be very strange. Jared Kelly yeah. and the Grey doing the odd couple. And
1: that was great. So I had a weird I had a weird dream about Jared Kelly. And then I'd forgotten about it. And then I saw him the next day. And then I just immediately remembered this dream. I'm like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> I'm not gonna go into any more detail about that. Okay.
0: That's for, <laughs> that's for the X-rated podcast.
1: Yeah. That's for the, um, the B-side. <laughs> There's a yeah. reference that many people won't get. <laughs> well,
0: it was such a, such a lovely time at the buyer, and it was um, such a nice little building. Then uh, something happened. They kind of stopped creating their own work. Yeah. Because it was Ken Alexander that did all the, the in-house directing and it was always so <laughs> creative and so interesting.
1: Yeah. I don't know if that was a funding thing though. I can't remember, but I'm not sure. But it was. That that was definitely the kind of a pivotable pivotable pivotal time. Um where just it stopped Yeah, it, it stopped feeling like the same kind of place.
0: Mm. Yeah, it was it was just, Yeah, interest like it was rumours of Fife Council buying it for a pound. Remember that? and then it all kind of changed to just touring things, which were quite good, but... Yeah, it was very hit
1: and miss though, isn't it? Very hit and miss, you know, this one for one night, this one for two. Um, yeah. Yeah, I missed having those long running shows and then the cast, because everyone would just kind of come in and get along and make friends and socialise and stay for drinks afterwards, cast mm-hmm. members included. And I think that was what was really nice. It was such a small theatre that you know you'd have our own shows running and you'd get to know people really well and it just was really nice no it
0: really was and yeah you got to know the performers as well as the it was like a family it really was it yeah you were there for a while and the, you know it's like as a front house person I worked in the bar as well for quite a bit yeah and so you did. more shifts because I was coming from Dundee so I was getting what, £10 a shift or something? Mm-hmm. And that was my petrol money. It really wasn't yeah. worth me coming through. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was just the kind of place you just wanted to be there, though, didn't you?
0: It was really nice. I think
1: I spent a lot of time there when I wasn't working. I just was... I liked being there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember my mum came to see a show once, and she um, <laughs> she nearly set fire to the whole buyer. Because... <laughs> so I was working in front of the house, and... We were lucky to get comps if we were um, working front of the house. And so I said, Well, do you want to just come through and just see this one? I can't remember what show it was. And you stay after and we'll take you back home. And she was reading the menu and she basically had it like that and the candle that was on the table set fire to the menu. And she was just sitting oh. there reading it. And someone oh, in the God. bar had to come across and Wow. <laughs> that was the end of the bio. <laughs> Front of house member. Play me the thing. <laughs> um, okay, so um, yeah, I know what you do now because I've just asked you as well, but <laughs> can you tell our listener or listeners um, what do you do as a job? What do you do?
1: So at the moment, I work in a military medical centre. and I do, among many, many other things, (laughs) I do hospital referrals. So just like a normal GP practice, the patients will come in, uh, speak to the GP, and then if the GP needs to refer them to a hospital for sort of specialist input, then they'll give me the referral and I'll process that and then I'll track it to the appointment and Mm. make sure the patient knows about the appointment. And it's a bit more involved, I think, than a normal GP practice, so whereas the letter, the hospital appointment letter would just go straight to your house with our medical centre and probably most military ones as well, the appointment letter comes to the practice again because okay. our patients being military are maybe deployed or they're posted or they're on a course or they've moved house or there's a lot of movement.
0: Mm. So
1: the average, I think, army um person. Obviously not doesn't go across the board, but the average army person will be moving every two to three years. Right. So there's a lot of um care that that uh, there's the potential for it to sort of people to slip through the net because they move around so much. And NHS England is a completely different ball game to NHS Scotland, and region to region, even NHS Fife, NHS Tayside, side, they're they're sort of different entities as well. So I basically um am there to kind of To safety net things and and make sure that they get seen and they don't get disadvantaged because of the the lifestyle of moving around and things like that
0: so Mm -hmm. i'm a
1: little 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 champion. champion
0: so the first question is what has been the happiest moment of your life so i said either personally or professionally it's completely up to you so what has been the happiest moment I'd feel
1: horrendously guilty if I didn't balance it with a little bit of both. (laughs) Because it's, I I don't know, sometimes you feel you have two different sides of you. But personally, um, and I know it's completely cliche, but it's understandably cliche, is the birth of my girls. I had very different experiences with them. I had a very, quite a difficult, um, not pregnancy, but a different labour and things like that with the oldest one. And then we expected all the same kind of issues and and complications with the second one. And she was a breeze, nothing at all, no bother. And then, yeah, it was just a a different experience. But it was, it was, it's brilliant. And it still is brilliant every single day. And they're they're eight and five now. So easily the happiest sort of moments of my life. And it'll be very difficult to overshadow them personally.
0: Mm.
1: And just because it's such a, life-changing moment each time each time is life-changing definitely
0: it's, um it's, it's um it's really strange as well because um you know that i've got one child just now and mm-hmm. in the future we don't know but the thought of having another child is but well, it's not going to be as good as this one you know <laughs> so
1: like we're pretty good we can't we can improve this
0: <laughs> but it's like I don't know if I've got any more that kind of cliché thing, but any more love to give, but yeah,
1: you must yeah, find we,
0: that. You know, you must.
1: Oh yeah, it just, just yeah. it, it just makes the same room again. It, it's not that you have to sacrifice love for one to give to the other. You just certainly your volume increases. Maybe that's why parents get a bit larger. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Your volume of love increases. That's why. Oh, I like go- that,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: It does though, yeah, you just, the the new one just fits in and you have just as much love.
0: Yeah, I'm going to to start saying that, I'm not overweight, I've just got too much love.
1: My volume of love has increased.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh, but yeah, children, they really do bring a different, different part of life, doesn't it? It's just, yeah, changes your life completely, but for the good one, but MD yeah you're saying kind of difficult experience on with your first child that anxiety for the when you're having your second child you must have been so concerned about it and leading up or did you just think well I know what to expect now?
1: It was just quick it was a lot quicker so I didn't really get a chance to to worry about it or be anxious about it it was just it just happened really quickly which is quite can be quite common with second babies um I I think I, my first contractions were at three o'clock in the afternoon and five to midnight I had her so it's quite a short space of time to go from nothing to here's a baby <laughs> yeah wow yeah um, so yeah I didn't have time to worry about it to be honest <laughs> it's <was> happening
0: <laughs> yeah you've got other things to worry about haven't you it's just
1: <laughs> yeah definitely I'd chili to make in that you know
0: um, so professionally, what was the happiest mm-hmm. moment?
1: Ah, this one is this one is so tricky because there's there are so many times, um, so many kind of individual cool moments. But I definitely will always look back to my pass out parade, which is basically the the parade you do at the end of your basic training in the military. So that's where, you know, you go when you leave home, you do, for me then, I think it was nine weeks, I don't know what it is now, I think it's a little bit longer, but nine weeks and that's where they basically break you down and then build you back up the way they want you to and that you're just learning how to be a military person, how to prep your kit and iron your kit and life skills as well actually, they're teaching life skills because you, you get some really young recruits, 16, 17 year olds, and so they will show you this is how you load a washing machine, this is how you do this, this is how you do that. Uh, not just this is how you iron something, but they'll do it obviously to their standards. This is how we want you to iron it and it must look like this. So all the discipline, all the physical stuff to build up your fitness. We did um, history of the Air Force, we did exams, things like that. So it's it's quite intensive quite intense it's nine weeks it was nine weeks and then at the end of it you have this big graduate um, graduation parade where you're in your your best uniform your number one uniform with your highly highly bulled shoes that you've been bulling for weeks and then as soon as you put them on they crack and flake and it's really annoying um you've got this rifle with a big bayonet on the end of it and you're like what am i doing but it's when the music starts and then you start marching along the parade square and then you see all the parents kind of sitting up on the on the seats, it was just a, such an amazing accomplishment. It felt it felt like a huge accomplishment because there's so many um so many points where you can be backflighted, which is when if you fail a certain element, you'll you'll leave your group that you started with, that your friends, your colleagues and then you'll maybe get moved back a course. So you have to start with new people and do the same part again that you've just failed. Luckily, I didn't have to do that, but it did come quite close at one point. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really, there's so many levels of, of where you're being tested or examined. So when you get through all of it and you finish it at the end and your parents, they are watching you, basically like a different person I wanted to be a bloody actress when I grew up so for them to see me suddenly marching along with a a rifle in my arm was was a different experience but it yeah really proud and happy happy moment just that you've accomplished that
0: brilliant okay second question um if you could travel back in time That'd be cool. What would you say to 12-year-old Kirsten?
1: Oh, 12-year-old Kirsten. I where, can remember exactly what it was like when I was 12.
0: Where was 12-year-old Kirsten? Where
1: were <coughs> 12-year-old Kirsten was, I guess, somewhere between first year and second year. I was only 11 when I went to high school, so oh,
0: wow. somewhere
1: between first year and second year. But my my lovely auntie, she, she passed away really young at 32, um from cancer in the november and then i turned 12 in the january so it was only a few months before that so 12 was quite dark time for me just processing that um we have a big amazing family though but yeah 12 was a a hard i think i was you know a little bit low i think i was a little bit blue from that and i didn't really have a great relationship with my sister at the time and we're having an amazing relationship now so it's all good but you know we were typical You know, sisters didn't get on scrap with each other and you know, all that, so it was just a bit of a dark time. But I think if I could then go back to 12 year old Kirsten, I definitely say it's going to be okay, and you know, your relationship with everyone's going to be fine, everyone's going to be okay, everyone's going to come out of this trauma and this sadness, everyone's going to be all right, no one's going to. fall down from it if that makes sense and I think yeah. that would have reassured me a lot because I'm a kind of I guess I'm a kind empathetic person so I would worry a lot about everybody else and and I don't think I was old enough to really have that on my shoulders no one put it on me I just I think that's just the way I work but um yeah just to tell myself everyone everyone's going to be fine and her kids are going to grow up and they're going to be successful and and happy and brilliant and so I think I would tell myself that and just reassure myself that you're going to come out of this tunnel and it's going to be fine. Mm. And I'd probably also say, um, but when you get a little bit older, about exam time, just give yourself a bit of a kick up the backside. <laughs> because I got, unfortunately, progressively lazier. I did my standard grades, I did really well, and I just got a bit lazy from my hires. Because I thought, I'm going to be an actress. So I don't have to worry about an amazing education. I just need a kind of okay education. So I, I, didn't really, I don't really know how well I could have done at school if I'd actually made an effort. I probably could have done a lot better than I did. I didn't do badly. I just,
0: mm-hmm.
1: meh, you know, average. But what I didn't your, really
0: put... Did, what were your teachers like? Were they supportive? Or was it just kind of letting you go?
1: Um... <laughs> At the older age, high school, like exactly. Yeah, age, when
0: you were twelve, were they kind of or oh, when I, when I, I, um, exams?
1: Uh, I can't really remember. I think mm-hmm. we had a an assistant. He actually wasn't an assistant head teacher then. I think he was like the assistant of the deputy rector. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. And he pulled my mum in on parents' evening one day and said, well, Kirsten's been off for a week there and a week there and a week there," and she's like, "Well." You know, and she had to basically take him a task and say, well, her family member passed away, so she was off for that. And then, you know, she had a, a badass manta or something like that. She had justification for all of them and he just basically squirmed in his chair, which was, I wish I'd seen that. I remember her coming out of there feeling really satisfied how, how much she made him squirm. But I, yeah, I guess, I guess they were supportive. I don't really remember. I don't remember about that time, I just remember my feelings and things like that. So, I don't think I was very aware of what was going on around me, yeah, just that I was plodding through it all.
0: Were you quite close to your auntie? Was it, did it come to quite a shock?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, well, she was ill for a few months before she passed away, but yeah, we were really it's my mum's side predominantly, and we were sort of closest. Um, we all grew up together. There's loads of cousins, we're all very similar ages in layers, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And, um, yeah, we were all very close. And it was, it was a very, really, really sad time. But we, let's say, we all got through it together. And that's, I think, the main thing. And everyone came out the other side, um, you know, okay and adjusted and everything like that. So, which I think is a testament to our family and kind of how strong we are and how close we are. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, of course. Like, something like that must make your family stronger and more... Yeah, all supporting each other, but yeah, mm. what what a dark time to happen to a 12-year-old, you know, it's, you always think mm. those kind of family members are going to be there for a while in that kind of age. I don't
1: think you really understand how, you know, until you're the age or round about the age that she was, you don't really appreciate how young that is for, you know, someone to, to pass away. And I think yeah. I always felt my 30s were, and I still feel every every year beyond 32, I still feel it's a privilege. I never get worried or stressed out about my age or, oh, I'm another year older or I'm 30 now or I'm, I'm nearly 40. Well, I don't, it, it, to me, it's a privilege and that's kind of the way I've always thought about it. So it it's a negative thing that happened, but I kind of always put a positive... Spin on it that you know every year you get is a blessing, so let's enjoy
0: it. I you know, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think you understand until you have that moment in your life where you've, you know, that kind of death thing of, oh my goodness, our parents, mm. and family members aren't immortal, and
1: yeah,
0: it's. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine losing a parent at that age, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But losing a close family member like that must be a similar thing. Of, Yeah, I was very lucky not to have that feeling for quite a while. But, yeah, I can imagine that age, it can kind of really affect everything mm-hmm. in your life, and yeah. including your studies and including everything. Um, yeah, very yeah. early
1: on in my life. Career. So it didn't, it didn't affect as such that my sort of studies and thing, but I think if I'd been a bit older, I think that might have been a different, a different story with, you know, more hormones and more everything going on when you're an older sort of teenager. I think, yeah, it might have been a, a, a harder thing to navigate.
0: Hmm. Um. yeah, what was, what was 12 year old Kirsten like as in personality? If that didn't happen, were you outgoing? Were you shy? Were you thrown chairs at teachers?
1: I think I was sort of somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. I can remember being in third, so maybe not quite 12. I was maybe a year older or something. Very much wanted to be Nancy from The Craft.
0: (laughs) Didn't we all? Of course.
1: (laughs) Why not? (laughs) We are the weirdos. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, But, I think I was quite outgoing, but not as much as my later teens. I was a lot more outgoing in my later teens, but I wasn't really shy either. So just kind of, you know, floating around in the middle there.
0: Yeah. Um, mm. I, I was painfully shy at school.
1: Where are you? Um, yeah,
0: I was, didn't have many friends, used to lock myself in the music cupboard quite a lot. Oh, is that <laughs> where you kind of love- That sounds like I'm locking myself in the music cupboard in the music room that's what I mean a the room. room that we call the cupboard so that doesn't sound <laughs> um but yeah um my mum tells the story of me in primary school about mm. my um me dropping a pencil on the floor and being too scared to pick it up I just sat there crying
1: no you're gonna actually make me cry <laughs>
0: it's like, oh. can you imagine me nori just sitting there just oh. crying my pencil! His little beard.
1: Oh, because you just didn't want to your little beard, did you?
0: Just say it? Can you tell me about a moment when you failed and how you overcame it?
1: This one I really struggled with because...
0: you just I, no No, I definitely,
1: no, definitely not. A hundred percent I have failed. <laughs> you know, I've, I haven't had jobs from interviews. I remember during um, a practice parade competition, my rifle fell out of my arm and I had to quickly put it back there and snap my hand away. And then I just felt like I'd let everyone down, um, fluffing lines in, in shows, things like that. But... I I can't really think of one thing, one failure which sort of affected me or changed me. But the only thing that I think, I, the best way for me to answer that, I think, is I have this really difficult and strange sensation or feeling that there's something I haven't done yet or I haven't fulfilled my potential. There's something that I'm supposed to do, and I have absolutely no idea what it is. But it's really, it weighs it weighs me down because I don't know how I can get rid of this feeling. And I, I have been extremely fulfilled by the things I've done and the experiences I've had. But there's just something I can't even explain it very well. There's there's just something I haven't done. I haven't fully. Shown myself what i'm capable of but i don't know how to actually achieve that and so it does that makes me feel like a failure every single day
0: mm.
1: and and also you know going back to what i was saying about i would tell my slightly older child self to try hard on your exams and i think that's just one of many examples of we you, you didn't really push yourself as far as you could go or, you know, I could say, well, in my military career, I only got to that rank. I know I could have got to that rank, but I stopped trying or I didn't really push it, push it for whatever reason. And that there's a lot of that. Or I, I didn't I didn't just audition for drama school after my HNC. Maybe I would have got in. Would I would have maybe been on a different path. I've got no regrets, but I feel like there's been a series of stopping short of the end, you know, just stopping just shy of the end and that there is something else for me to do, but I have absolutely no idea what it is. So I think I feel that feeling of failure every single day.
0: Mm. And I
1: have no idea how to get rid of it.
0: So do you do you feel like there's a there's a goal that you're (coughs) you haven't reached yet?
1: Yes. Some either sort of unfinished business or a, a new goal I haven't reached yet or something big that needs done but I don't know what it is so it's I don't know how to possibly achieve it I, th-
0: I don't yeah, I think that's just I think it's human life isn't it I think we're all kind of I'd like to be truly fulfilled as to be mm-hmm. you no know, there's yeah. always something that you're trying to get to yeah
1: yeah it's it's a set goal though isn't it and that's why I think I'm struggling because it isn't a set thing. It's just this. There's just this, this feeling.
0: Yeah. Um, what well, I read a really interesting book recently, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, mm-hmm. um, which is a really interesting one because um, it's. Do you know Matt Haig at all? I don't. Sorry, no. No, no. He's he's written lots of kind of um, mental health books as well, but this is a this is a fiction book. Okay. and it's about someone called Nora and Nora um something happens to Nora I'm not no spoiler um <laughs> something happens and she's had to think about um all her different lives that she's could have had so the idea is that in a parallel universe there is lots of different lives happening. There's like millions of decisions that you've made. So that decision of um I don't know, not going to see someone Mm -hmm. that you made. There's another Nori that's with that person or married to that person. Or you know, there's a Nori that might be a rock star or you know
1: (laughs) he already is, but you know, yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah sure but i find it really interesting because it she doesn't seem to be happy in quite a lot of our different lives because something yeah. will go wrong
1: yeah
0: something you know if and the thought of like when i got close to being you know famous, star west end thing mm-hmm. it's like i can see the future and thought yeah that's not going to end well You know, I might be really happy for six months, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but yeah, and it always makes me think of, you know, that kind of celebrity lifestyle where, you know, people going into the jungle camp and, you know, you've forgotten about them and it's, they were really famous once. They've got all this money and now we don't. So their life has gone there and I think it's, yeah, it's a difficult one (laughs) because I think we're all kind of thinking about, right, what's the next step and what's this, Mm -hmm. what do I need to do next?
1: Yeah.
0: But yeah, it's how to, how to be truly fulfilled, how to reach enlightenment.
1: Mm. yeah exactly and maybe i should do a sort of past life regression or something to see if this this lack of fulfillment or, or this unfinished business is something you know from before or another maybe i should do that i've always wanted to do that anyway because it sounds interesting but you never know maybe it's a, a residual feeling from a past life that is still lingering
0: Hmm. yeah I wonder what you would have been
1: I've got no idea, I've got absolutely no idea that's why I think, oh, maybe. imagine if you go though and you're like no nah, this is this is just you know round one, you put it oh
0: maybe you were like a queen or something
1: No, I don't think I'd be a queen, I don't know why I just don't think I would peasant mm.
0: I don't know
1: peasant, yeah, probably
0: maybe peasant a peasant, and somebody murdered you, and you've got to probably go who it was.
1: But, you know, that is an interesting backstory. So, good for dinner parties. That would be good, wouldn't it? Oh. Wouldn't it? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's why I can't explain what I need to do, because it's like unfinished business. Yeah. Mm. I can see that the, the <laughs> cog squirt. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I think, oh, what would I be? Oh, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Tricky.
0: <laughs> um, so your ideal dinner party, who would you invite? And why? And why? So
1: uh always number one, I think, regardless of how the rest of the table changes, always, always, always number one will probably be Freddie Mercury. Eh-oh,
0: eh-oh.
1: Yeah, just right. well just so we could all the whole time just go, that just the whole <laughs> that's the, that's how the whole night's gonna be. And we're he he starts it and we finish it. You no, know, just I think I absolutely love Queen. I idolized Queen as a young person. Um I was actually only introduced to Queen by my mum when Freddie Mercury died. I remember opening the, the cassette and pulling out the kind of um you know, they used to have the lyrics and everything on the covers didn't they all folded in Hmm. and she sort of showed me his picture and said oh he died today and and we just I think then she was listening to the tapes a lot and me my brother my sister absolutely loved it and I had long brown curly hair so I would pretend to be Brian May with a wooden spoon as a guitar My sister, who had blonde hair, was Roger Taylor with two wooden spoons behind a chair drumming. And my little brother would be Freddie Mercury. And we'd have a a Queen video on with, we know, the music videos and we'd be dancing and singing and drumming along. We didn't ever bother with John Deacon, you know, but that's okay at the moment. He's equal. So, yeah, there wasn't a John Deacon, unfortunately, in our Queen for that. Time. But I just absolutely loved Queen and I would love to have seen them live. I watched um, Bohemian Rhapsody in the cinema on my own, deliberately on my own, and I was absolutely blown away. Just that last scene, you know, at the Live Aid mm-hmm. concert, it completely just moved me to tears because I felt like I was fulfilling that lifetime dream of watching them live and I got that response from it. and. I just absolutely love him. And I think he was a fascinating person anyway. His lifestyle and his his showmanship and the differences in his, you know, personality depending who he's with. And I just would like to just listen to him. Listen to him and listen to him. Yeah. So easy choice. Definitely for Eddie Mercury. Yeah. Right?
0: It's he fascinates me quite a bit. <laughs> because I think he's such a fascinating character. And Yeah. There was a lot of things about his, you know, his sexuality that -hmm. that kind of, and that controversy about everything, you know, his sexuality, you know, at the time coming up to Mm. death and before that, it wasn't as okay now with a lot of people, you know, it was very, very in, and I think that sometimes took away from the music.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, but if you watch him and, you know, you you watch kind of documentaries about how he created the music, he's such an amazing musician. Yeah, absolutely. Movie.
1: Just yeah, the the imagination behind it. I think collectively there was just something magic with the combination of all of them and they just got it right and they could do anything. I mean, I and I'd love to know what he thought... Um, because I think Adam Lambert is doing an amazing job. And I, I, you can't compare anybody to Freddie and it's utterly pointless. And he says that himself in the concert, that, you know, I'm not Freddie, but he can hold his own, that boy can hold his own. And I'd love to see them bounce off each other and to see what Freddie thought. I think he'd like what was happening, but I think he'd be a bit tongue in cheek about it, you know, you're a bitch, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, Yeah, but I'd just love to pick his brains and just know more about him because I think there was definitely a sadness to him as well that he would only just let it show very occasionally and you can hear it through some of the music. So I think he's a very interesting, person.
0: You can see in his kind of last songs, you know, like I thought, Mm -hmm. I think he knew he was dying and, Mm -hmm. you know, the keep on forgetting that last song where he says kind of goodbye in it as well and it's just you can see that kind of sadness in there and yeah it, you think you're right you think it's the, the kind of showmanship is one side of freddy but then you can see there's a very different personality there that's very kind of sensitive
1: The human side of him. I think he just always got a character, one of many characters. Mm -hmm. But um, the human side of him, I think is the the part that I would love. I'd love a little bit, of course, of the flamboyant side of him because that's why he's so famous and well-known. But to really know a little bit more about that human side of him would be really so humbling, I think.
0: Yeah. Same with, you know, David Bowie. You know, that kind Uh,
1: of... Oh, yeah.
0: That kind of, you know, the many personalities of David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust and, you know, all that. But actually, yeah, he's a human. And mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast the other day where um, the interviewer was asking someone about David Bowie and says, Oh, yeah, he came to my birthday party when I was 12 and said I had nice shoes. And <laughs> the thought of David Bowie coming to a party. It's just, what, what, like a 12-year-old party is, you know, because they were friends with the parents and it's, it's, but actually I get the same when I think about Coronation Street actors, you know, oh. you know like, imagine Ken Barlow coming to, going shopping in Tesco.
1: Yeah, I suppose, because they have to do that, you know, they're people.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but it's the same with David Bowie and. You know he would need to go shopping at some point. But he would, yeah. Or That's Freddie crazy. Mercury. You know, it's yeah, strange. Okay, so Freddie's sitting there. We're all singing along. Um, mm-hmm. Piano's in the corner. Who's joining him? Can you remember?
1: I can remember. Yes, I was just, I was just making sure because I've got my sixth person now, which I couldn't do before got my sixth person and i was just putting it down there before i forget because i know i'll have a mind blank so <coughs> the second thought of was i would really like Marla monroe oh nice. because i think this society now needs a bit of Marla monroe as in a woman who looks like her the someone with the the intelligence to do what she did um I would, the the craft of how she did things because obviously she she had this beautiful sort of I don't want to say dumb blonde because she she it wasn't that she she had this o she had, took her own strand of that but she just was such a master of her craft and I think such a almost like a method actor I guess she got so obsessed and and into into the sort of characters and how to portray them and would maybe overthink a little, everything too much, but she was just so good at what she did, and, but I think more, yeah, I think we just need more women of her shape and her beauty. We could do with that now, I think, because it's all gone a bit wrong. It's all gone a bit wrong. Yeah,
0: kind of a nice nice role model, but
1: yeah. Yeah, Mm. yeah, and she's such, I bet she'd have loads of stories, loads of really gossip and stories, but again, that's that's someone else that has uh, a character and then there's that human side of them, that sadness underneath that that fascinates me. I
0: don't
1: know what this is all saying about me, actually. Maybe I should be like, a therapist or something. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I think I, I, I really want to get to know the human side of, of these huge, huge icons. Yeah. And I just think we need to embrace women who look like Marilyn Monroe rather than Tiny, tiny, skinny, yeah. tiny, or just at least embrace different shapes, not just one shape. We shouldn't all be clones, we should try and look different. Yes, which so, I'm a massive advocate of, as you can tell.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we've got Freddie there. Is Marilyn Monroe sitting next to Freddie? Oh, I can imagine them both, both, of them yeah, kind of.
1: I think they'd on like a house on fire. It would either be amazing or it would be like, What,
0: well, forgot to some sausage rolls, some just to start with, these kind mm. of. Yeah. 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 Keep it yeah. chill. That'd be chill. good. So Freddie, Marilyn Monroe, the doorbell yes. goes, who is it?
1: Oh, well, it's obviously Billy Connolly.
0: <laughs> the big you can't
1: in. not have Billy Connolly at a dinner party. 'Cause the, the conversation would just never dry up. He would just do one of his story jokes, joke stories, where he just goes off on those tangents and then you completely forget what he was what he'd started with and he just goes around the world two times and then he comes back to that point he made, you know, an hour ago, and it's hilarious and it's brilliant. And I just think he would just tell it as it is. He would just there'd be no no holds barred, he would just go for it and he would just make everyone laugh. He makes me laugh, mm. if, especially then if he could incorporate us into his amazing and famous dinner party sketch, oh. which is my favorite Billy Connolly sketch of all time. That I know, I know that one. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah,
0: I can see a mother Monroe and Freddie Macro being part of that. That would be, great.
1: Yeah. yeah, right? I'm a tobogganist. What what do you do? I'm a demagogue. Oh, I'm just put down. <laughs> Brilliant! That whole sketch is yeah. hilarious. And I think you can only find a really short, cut down, edited version of it now.
0: I know there's
1: many a- there more characters in that sketch in that sketch than there there is that you know when you look it up these days.
0: Yeah, there's, and what I what I um, when I was at um university doing music and theatre. I'd started doing a wee bit of comedy stuff and that was my had to do a platform performance at the end and I looked into Billy Connolly's work and I didn't realise how brilliant a musician he was you know because I, I just knew him as a comedian
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the um you know the um D-I-V-O-R-C-E song is just hilarious gets me all the time um but it's it's the way like the way he tells it yeah that's that's not him but yeah it's it's definitely the you know the way he says it and Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know even have you ever seen him live
1: i have not and i would it it won't happen now i think just because he i can't see him doing anything like that but um i would would have loved to i would have loved to see him live but of course hundreds and thousands of people want to see him live so it's very difficult to get tickets when you're yeah. on sale
0: I've never seen him live but I've watched quite a lot of his videos and it's just him just coming on stage and he's one of those comedians that you just laugh as soon as you see him because yes. you'll know, start and he'll just say right here we go right let me t-. and it's even that yeah. we're just laughing you know yeah That's so true the thing about Glasgow and it's just when are we? <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a, such a, a clever clash of relatable stories or relatable anecdotes, but then completely extreme. No, we will never experience this kind of stuff, and he just fuses it all together. Yeah, and just. It keeps you on your toes. It's like listening to a family member tell the story, and you're so invested in it, and you haven't even realised that he's gone off on this completely different tangent. And it's just genius. It's Mm. utterly genius, but it's natural. It's not, you know, it doesn't ever feel. I'm sure it is scripted to an extent because you know you have to have, I guess, like a set framework to get you through the show, but. It d- it never feels like that. It just feels like it flows completely naturally, and you one hundred percent know that these things definitely have happened.
0: Mike, do you remember your first Billy Connolly sketch that you, that you watched? Uh,
1: I think it was the, it was uh, it was either the tour was called or the video, video. Do you remember those? Uh, was I'm too two young, nights. I'm too young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too young. Got it. Got it. <laughs> He had to throw me under the bus there, Nori. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was two night stand, and that that uh, dinner party sketch was on it. But also another one of my favourites, which is short, ridiculous, stupid, but hilarious, makes me laugh, is the lions and the wildebeest. <laughs> when the lion, <laughs> there's two line, two or three lions sneaking up on a wildebeest, and uh, the wildebeest is like, basically saying. I've never seen a lion have you seen a lion i've heard the beige Are oh, the beige and then the lion agnes is like isa isa I, you obviously can't see people who are listening i'm basically doing kind of whispering and gesturing and it's, it's the stupidest little sketch that lasts about two minutes but it, it cracks me up every time you should youtube it wildebeest sketch i remember so, seeing that one youtube it and it's it's I don't know why it gets me. I don't know why, but it just gets me every time. So I think that one and the dinner party sketch were ones I can remember from watching when I was probably too young to be watching them, yeah. but they'll always always be my favorite sketches and ones I would love him to recreate at my dinner party, maybe incorporating a few of a few of us.
0: My um, the Billy Connolly always reminds me of my dad because I was used to watching with my dad, but it's actually <laughs> there was one I just remember and it's Billy Conley doing what a drunk man walks like and it's just him holding a, a chip packet and it's just he's got one foot on, on the floor and he's just going back and <laughs> forth and the drunk man's not knowing how he's not moving and he's confused <laughs> And I just remember my dad just roaring and <laughs> laughing at this. And do yeah. you know, at first it was like laughing with my dad, but I actually then started laughing with the joke as well because it was like, yeah. oh yeah, I get that, yeah. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> and just imagine him coming into the dinner party and just being like, oh, that's Freddy. Hello, Freddy. How are you?
1: Yeah, I can hear him. I can yeah. hear him
0: say it in my head. Or I can just imagine him coming in and just, you know, singing a song or something. I want them break free, come on, Freddy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He definitely would just keep everything there'd be no awkward silences with Billy Connolly around.
0: Wonder what Marilyn Monroe's reaction would be to that.
1: I think she'd love him. I think she'd just think he was hilarious. I think <laughs> she needs a good laugh, actually. She <laughs> needs a good laugh. Yeah. Well
0: at yeah. dinner party would be great. So we've yeah. got Freddie, Manlin, Billy Conley, Who's popping in next?
1: Now, this one is a little bit of a controversial choice. It never used to be, but it is now. That's why it's kind of fascinating. I kind of just want to sit this person go down and go, what the hell happened? So, um Aung San Suu Kyi? <laughs> gone she's basically gone from a nobel peace prize laureate to someone who is basically turning a blind eye to just absolute atrocities and i'm just like how does that happen how does that happen i just don't get it she was under house arrest for all those years um which is i think what people admired that she could still have influence positive influence and 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 stand for something, stand up for herself, stand for something huge, be acknowledged with the Nobel Peace Prize. But then to to go to where we are now, where she's just turning a blind eye to these kind of things, is just. And I'm not. I am not the most up to date with current affairs or politics or anything like that. So I won't go into specifics because I I think it was the the fact that it's the it's the journey that that has interested me. Mm. so much how can someone fall from that right down to 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 being this person that can just yeah ignore all that kind of horror horrible things happening so that that's interesting she might not get to stay long at a party
0: well i feel that there's i feel that there's there's more to the story there must be something going on
1: be something, but it doesn't look great to be fair, mm. and maybe that's an opportunity to find out. Right, so please do explain what's happened and what's going on and what you're thinking. What's the bigger picture that we are not seeing? And I, maybe she can explain
0: that. Do you think we should have like a, another room at the dinner party that we just kind of say, Right, look, we've got Freddie and Marlon and Billy con You want to be in this room, but before you get to that room, tell yeah, us what's going on.
1: I think there's a conversation in the kind of hall when I take her coat. Before she gets in, I feel like this is something we have to kind of quickly sort out. Not that it's a quick thing to sort out, but I think it's something that we have to discuss and get on the same page before she comes through to the, the dining room. Yeah. Um, I just think... and I, I, But I also would like to see... I think Billy would have a very intelligent conversation with her as well. I think Billy would be someone that could really... He, as he, he wouldn't pull any punches, and he would. Yeah. I think he could articulate very well his thoughts on it, and I think he could draw that out of her, yeah. because he's obviously a, he's a really intelligent man, and he's he, he's just a he's a very hilarious intelligent man. But I think that would be an interesting dynamic. I think he would. I think he'd sort of go a to town on her in a very articulate way. But yeah, it might be a a a, a whole room discussion prior to it and just it's like a morbid fascination i'm like how did this happen how did that go so wrong please explain
0: i mean it might be quite nice for her just to come right in and like Mm. here's the party then then right let's have this chat all together
1: like an intervention
0: we've brought you here today Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're not
1: happy yeah we're worried about you
0: we were so proud of you at the start, and now, yeah. <laughs> just no. like a primary school teacher talking to the children, and yeah, now, not, I'm
1: so not belittling distraught. all of the horrible things that she's, you know, yeah. turning her back. However, <laughs> yeah, what's going on with you?
0: Yeah, what's no, going I on see. with you? Yeah, I think we need to have a chat with her. Yeah, but, it's just
1: a morbid curiosity kind of yeah. guess.
0: No, it's it really, really, really interesting about it. Yeah. Okay, so got these guys all sitting there. Awkward silence when she walks in. But who else is popping in next?
1: Kevin Smith, the director, comes in to save the day. Thank you. Love Kevin Smith. Love Kevin Smith's films. Um. I've seen. I think I've seen. Almost all of them, if not all of them, um fell in love with kind of like the early stuff like mole rats, um, clerks, things like that. Uh, Dogma, I think, is just genius. Dogma's <laughs> really, not you've not, oh wow. Well, he, uh, one of his more, I'd say, commercial, but it's still very Kevin Smith. It's Have you seen Zach and Miri make a porno? No. you got to watch it, it's just brilliant. It's got Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks in it, and it is just brilliant. It's brilliant. It's hilarious.
0: I'm writing this down so I remember.
1: Yeah, Zach and Miri make a porno. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. What do you think you'll be like with the rest of the guests?
1: I think it will be fine. I think you'll be in his comfort zone.
0: Yeah. It's like because, yeah, I know. Of his films, not greatly, but yeah, I know of his films, but I don't know him, kind of, what his kind of personality is like.
1: So you need to watch Dogma, you need to watch Mallrats, you need to watch um, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, have you seen? Oh yeah, yeah, I've
0: seen that. Right, yeah. so
1: Silent Bob is Kevin Smith.
0: Yeah, so yeah. when you sent me Kevin Smith one, I was going, right, I need to check who this is. Saint Bob. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's. I think that's a really good dinner party. Have we got one more person?
1: Well, we do, but I'm. Um, I'm. I i am i do not know if I should. I don't know if I should say. Oh. I would love Alan Rickman to be there.
0: Oh.
1: I know, but actually, <laughs> mainly because Alan Rickman is my shouldn't but totally would kind of weird older guy crush and i could tell you the exact moment that 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 happened was you know texas um the band and he was in the in demand video so where he and sharon's Jerry are tangoing at a gas station or yeah. petrol station uh, that was it it's like i saw him in a completely different light and i was like I shouldn't be attracted to you, but I am. So that's that. that. So I didn't I can... fancy him as Snape or anything, because that would be weird, but... Oh, just Alan Rickman. And he's also in Dogma, and he's definitely very sexy in Dogma.
0: <laughs> Potter. Not that, no. Potter. No,
1: not he... No, not Snape, for some reason.
0: <laughs> um... So you're just gonna be sitting just looking at Alan Rickman.
1: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Just listening to him. Just <laughs> listening to that voice. Oh,
0: his voice is incredible, oh, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's amazing. Um, but I kind of, yeah, and just it's like the same with that. It's such a nice dinner party because I bet he's got quite a lot of stories as well, and you know, we can mm. properly find out what's yeah, what's happened? What's his favourite film? What did you like doing? And,
1: yeah. 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 I just There's lots of creatives, though. I kind of just realised that. There's lots of creatives in there.
0: We've got a creative, then just not one. <laughs>
1: one. Not one that's like, she probably leaves early.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she might just go, I'm just going to go, oh, you, oh, okay.
1: Yeah, she probably has, like, a fake phone call after, you know, 20 minutes or something, and she has to get out of there.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, oh, that would be such a nice dinner party. And Mm. yeah, it's been such a nice wee conversation as well, and just getting to know you. I know. know. All these things, and yeah, and it's just so interesting about, every time I do this, about the different questions and the different things that come up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's good to talk about all these things and the happiness and yeah, the kind of struggles as well that's happened in life. So it's yeah, But a
1: bit nice. bit of real life, with no filters, that's quite satisfying.
0: Hello again, hello, um, and I hope you really enjoyed that podcast. There was so much to talk about. We'd love to hear your comments. Um, send me messages through Anchor or send me messages wherever you want to. Um, if, and if anybody wants to be interviewed as well, give me give me a shout. And but I would love to keep the conversation going about what did you find interesting. Um, <laughs> what do you think that dinner party would be like at the end um, when we're talking about that as well? Um, and I hope to see you soon. Hopefully it won't be like nine months and oh my goodness, how many do I, many times do I say the word like in that episode? Like four billion times like. <laughs> anyway, goodbye.